What's up, everyone? We are live at 5. It's Wednesday, September 9th. I had to look. I'm Paul Antarek. And Beth is frozen, maybe. Is that what's happening? Uh, and I'm here. I'm Paul Antarek. I'm Beth Stevens. And we're joined, as always, by... <laughs> Hello. <laughs> the ghost in the machine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's one of those days. It's one of those tech days. But, you know, we get through it. Um, mm-hmm. You know what? Our guest today is someone who really knows how to make things work in challenging mm-hmm. times. Who is here today, Beth? Alan Filderman is here today. He's the director of Godspell at Berkshire Theater Group up in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. A real theater show that's really happening. happening. (laughs) Yeah, He's been giving everyone a real uh, theater experience this summer, which has been really exciting. Critically acclaimed and extended. So uh, Beth will find out all about it. But first, let's do some news. So we start today with an obituary, um, but someone who lived a very full and fantastic life, both in the Broadway world and the Hollywood world, Ron Harwood, um, Oscar-winning and Tony-nominated writer, died at 85 years old in his Sussex home. Um, He was uh, British, uh, but born in South Africa, and he won an Oscar for The Pianist. Uh, that movie with uh, Adrian Brody, right? That was a, right. a big hit. For, and, you know, that was a big hit. But he's most known in the theater world probably for his play, The Dresser, which uh, got a 1982 Tony nomination. And it was also a movie and then a TV movie. He also had a play called Taking Sides, uh, Quartet, Taking Tea with Stalin, uh, Ivanov, uh, The Ordeal of Gilbert Pinfold. I don't know that one. He's done a lot. He's done a lot, and but but he did win an Oscar, and he also was nominated for additional Oscars for The Dresser and for The Diving Bell and The Butterfly, which was a critically acclaimed um, film. Not uh, not as well-known as Australia. Did you ever see Australia, Beth? I the, didn't, but it has a fabulous cast. Yeah, yeah, it was the Baz Luhrmann film with Hugh Jackman and Nicole okay. Kidman, and... Uh, Polanski's uh, Oliver Twist. Anyway, um, he's a great, fantastic writer, and uh, rest in peace, Ron Harwood. Okay, we're going to move on to something a little more lighthearted, which is a Christmas show. Now, this is online because everything's virtual. It's Mm -hmm. Betsy, well, except for Alan Filderman, but we'll get to that. Uh, It's Betsy Wolf starring in a new Christmas musical called Estella Scrooge. There she is, Betsy Wolf. This is a new musical by John Caird and Paul Gordon. Tony nominee, Ooh. Paul Gordon, Tony winner, mm-hmm. John Caird. Estella Scrooge is a retelling of A Christmas Carol. It's a Christmas Carol with a twist. And it um, listen to this cast. Clifton Duncan will play Philip Nickleby, which John Caird knows about the Nicklebys, shall we say. Patrick mm-hmm. Page as Mr. Myrtle. Carolee Carmella as uh, Marla Havisham. And Danny Burstein as Ebenezer Scrooge. There he is. Tony nominee, Danny Burstein, with Megan McGinnis, Lauren Patton, Phoenix Best, and many more. So this will be streaming. We will have full dates and everything. But the, the cast is already starting with their, um, I guess, taping. So something to awesome. look forward to. Holiday cool. season. 
Mm-hmm. Also, I'm sure, Beth, I know you always ask me, you always ask me about Olaf's origin story. I can't um, help myself. Adorable Olaf, the snowman in Frozen. Uh, and now Josh Gad will help us uh, learn the story of Olaf in Once Upon a Snowman. It's an animated short. It'll be on Disney+. Plus, and it is premiering October 23rd. And that's really all there is to say, but I know you're going to want to watch it. Yeah, because I'm always asking you. Uh, moving on for more online fun, Irish Rep has announced their fall 2020 season. It's all digital. And listen to this. It's Geraldine Hughes' solo show, Belfast, Belfast Blues, directed by Carol Kane. Yes, that, Carol Kane. Give Me Your Hand, performed by Dermot Crowley and Derbla Malloy in October. And O'Neill's A Touch of the Poet, directed by Kieran O'Reilly. And on Beckett's slash in screen, and this is an exploration of Samuel Beckett's work by Tony winner Bill Irwin, and then A Child's Christmas in Wales, of course, written by Dylan Thomas and directed and adapted by the one and only Irish reps, Charlotte Moore. So look for all of that on the Irish rep website. Cool. Well, we're going to get to uh, today's guest in just a moment. We're going to learn all about how to produce theater in these trying times. Uh, But first, we want to give you a little bit of history. So let's do Today in Broadway. So Beth, you and I are always talking about long-running shows. It's a thing. Yes. The list of long-running shows is now it's weird because it's on pause, but um, of course, Phantom of the Opera. You know, Way three ahead. the top Phantom of the Opera is number one by a lot, and then number two is Chicago, the revival of Chicago, and The Lion King is number three. So, so we're living in a time where a lot of shows run for a long time. That wasn't always the case. Um, so, back in 1970, I'm going to take everyone back to 1970. In 1970, the reigning musical, longest-running musical, was My Fair Lady. It was, oh, it was look like, at that snap. It was a big hit. It closed in 1962, but eight years later, it was still the longest-running musical. It was Amazing. not, however, the longest-running show because, you know, when you look at those statistics back then, there were these two mm-hmm. plays, Life with Father. My voice yes. cracked on that. Life with Father and Tobacco Road, right? You always heard about those two plays. They ran like forever. Plays don't run that long now, although maybe Harry Potter might. might well, run. like the mousetrap, right? Like that. Yeah, right, sure, in London. So the, uh, so My Real Lady was actually number three, longest run. But it was the longest running musical. But then came Hello, Dolly. Oh, Hello, Dolly. Go. Huge smash. Huge, you know, everyone knew about Hello, Dolly. I just want to sort of give a quick history to Hello Dolly. Of course, it okay, started with the great Carol Channing, and there she is. And we're going to see a lot of photos right now of ladies on staircases because I know you <laughs> like those. Um, and look, look at all these amazing people that got to play Dolly Carol Channing, and then Ginger Rogers, and then wow. Martha Ray, and then Betty Grable. And then it had this huge reboot when Pearl Bailey came in. And actually, they did an all-black cast. They switched over the entire cast. Huge hit. Then, of course, Barbara Streisand said, well, I'm going to make a movie of it. So so Barbara Streisand, the movie came out with her. It was not such a huge hit, by the way. Then Phyllis Diller was in it on Broadway. Now, if you don't know who these ladies are, by the way, you better get on Wikipedia right after the show <laughs> and start looking them up because these are all very important people for very you Very important know. ladies. 
Very important lady. But what was happening in 1970, which is what we're talking about today, is the great Ethel Merman came and got to play Dolly. And she was the final Dolly. She said they, they originally asked her to do it when they were first developing the show, but it was while she was in Gypsy. And she apparently said, I don't want to do another long runner. So she knew it was going to run. Um, and But she finally took it over. She said she would just do it for a few months. But get this. You're going to like this little tidbit. They did. She did say she would do it, but they had to add two songs for her. Jerry Herman, in like the eighth year of the run, added World Take Me Back and Love Look in My Window, two command songs. And they were apparently maybe written for her originally to be in it, but they added songs for her to do it. And it sort of rebooted the show once again. And on September 9th, that's today, in 1970, it took over the the mantle of My Fair Lady for longest running musical on Broadway. It was at 2,717 performances. They had a big uh, matinee performance. They, they David Merrick was a producer. He, of course, nice. loved shenanigans and press events. So the big on stage event, Mayor Alfred B. Delbello of Yonkers was there, and he declared all of the seven ladies who had played Dolly Levi to be honorary citizens of Yonkers. <laughs> and then they rolled out, show the photo, please, Caitlin, this enormous, Caitlin found video of this, this enormous cake. Look at this cake. This is a David Merrick-sized press event cake. Now, the New York Times, in their reporting of this event, they pointed out that it was actually um, plywood. That's not that's not a cake. That's plywood. That's I hope totally, no one tried to cut into it. It's so showbiz. It's so Broadway. You it's so it showbiz. The balcony. David Merrick just brought some wood out, painted it white, said it was a cake. So anyway, uh, that that was an amazing milestone. It happened on this date in Broadway history, and of course now, if you look, Hello Dolly is now the twentieth longest wow. running show. So that shows how many long running shows have come since. So that's all I got. Ago. That's our history lesson for the day. Go listen to the cast album after live at five. Definitely. Okay, good. Well, thank you, Paul. Caitlin. Wow. I know. Did you learn a lot? You got to look up I all just, those women. I learned cake. a lot. I fe- yes. The cake. Hashtag fake cake. It's trending. <laughs> I, do they do that anymore? Well, no, everything's so like they do like the what's his name? Bobby. What's a guy? Buddy. He makes cake now. The cake Who guy. Makes cakes? The makes buddy cake. guy. Buddy. He has a TV show. He makes. Okay. No. Anyway. Buddy makes cakes. Buddy makes cakes. <laughs> anyway. That was anyway. Wonderful. Let's welcome our guest, Caitlin. Yes. I'm going to tell y'all about who we have today. We have Alan Filderman joining us today for Live at Five Home Edition live right here on Facebook and YouTube. He is a director of many things, but currently he is directing like something that is actually happening in front of people, an outdoor production of Godspell happening up at the Berkshire Theater Group. And it just got extended. It's running until September 20th now. So if you're in the area, be sure to check it out. Uh, you guys can follow along at Berkshire Theater Group on Twitter and Instagram. Leave all of your questions in the comments below for us to get to Alan. And everyone, please welcome Alan and Beth. I'm here and I am praying. I moved my iPad closer to my router and I'm praying that this works. Me too. I'm also having some tech difficulties. So keep your eyes on us. 
if I just start to look off into space, that might happen. But Alan, welcome. Hi. Hi. So tell us all about what it was like for you to have the only professional theater show running in this country. It was, you know, uh, I, I actually, during the process, I completely put it out of my head. We started rehearsals and people were already um, asking me for interviews. And everybody would say in the interview, are you aware that the entire country is watching you? Are you aware that you're creating history in the American theater? And I'd be going, ah, <laughs> So someone said, are you feeling nervous that the entire country is watching you? And I said, well, I wasn't until now. So I, we had two weeks to put it up from the- Wait, two first, weeks of rehearsal? Two weeks. So from the first wow. get together, from the first meet and greet to the first public performance was two weeks. So see, I had to use my fingers. Um, so I couldn't let any noise in. I couldn't be thinking about, oh, we're the only ones. I couldn't be thinking that kind of stuff. I would have gone crazy. So I, um, I simply shut out the noise, put up the show. And then afterwards, well, I have to say, on opening night, when I'm sitting there and Ben Brantley is sitting right over there, that's when it started to hit me. That's when all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is an event. And it's a serious event. It all started, and then it all started to kick in. And leave me in a little bit of a state of shock. And I've been trying to take it all in. But what was important to me was getting a, a really good show up in two weeks. That's all that really mattered to me. So you had to you had to deal with a lot of restrictions. I just want to sort of categorize a little bit of that and talk about what, how your vision for the show changed from maybe before you even started casting it to dealing with equities rules? It was, uh, I, was a, I was asked to direct a show a year ago. So I was going to be doing Godspell at the Berkshire Theater Group. It was going to be, let's face it, just another production of Godspell. Um, am I changing? I'm changing colors a lot because I'm sitting in front of my television to try and get some lighting. Sorry. I think um, it's, yeah, it's very fancy. Okay, good. Uh, so it was just, let's face it, it was just going to be another production of Godspell at a regional theater. This is also my professional directing debut. Um, I've been a casting director for 35 years, so I was going to sneak in and do this little production of Godspell uh, at a regional theater and just make sure that I knew how to direct and that I was good at this. Then, and my thought and process at the, always at the beginning was it's going to take place here and now. I wanted it to not be in the 70s. I wanted to not be hippies running through Central Park. Uh, so it was always going to be taking place in the here and now. Then everything hit. And so I adjusted my concept and my thinking on a daily basis because we were doing it. We weren't doing it. We were doing it with masks. We weren't doing it at all. We were doing it with face guards. We weren't doing it at all. 
So it was, all right, just keep, I just, just adapt, just adapt. And so when it finally turned out that it was really happening and that it was going to be the only live theater in the country, I felt it was really important to create a new opening. That's the biggest difference in this production is that Tower of Babel, uh, Mr. Schwartz allowed us to cut Tower of Babel and I created a whole new opening that is the actors as themselves stepping forward and telling their personal story of what their lives have been like during COVID. And How was that? that? I mean, they, they actually wrote something and then you just uh, like trimmed it a little bit, edited? Yeah, they all wrote their stories. I asked them to write their stories of their uh, experiences over the last four months, five months. And they sent them to me. I edited them, I trimmed them, I went to them and I said, I need a little bit more of this. I shaped them, I put them in order. Mm -hmm. Uh, We then did a thing at the end with a cacophony so that there's something for the shofar and for John the Baptist to come into. And, Mm -hmm. um, And that gets the show going. And then as you probably know, Godspell is constructed with a lot of ad libs. In the script itself, it says ad lib here ad lib here so we made the ad libs covid today pandemic mm-hmm. to 2020 ad libs so that the audience knows that while they're watching this and going through this it's completely in the moment that was what was important to me and that's how the whole concept developed how emotional was it for you when an audience walked into that tent for the first time and sat down. Really, really emotional. (laughs) Um, Again, I block, I I wasn't thinking about anything. I was thinking about, this is literally, Alan, don't let it be boring. It can't be boring. It can't be boring. (laughs) I mean, these people, you know, just get it done. Nobody's, you're doing God's spell. Nobody's allowed to touch. Nobody's allowed to be within, you know, we haven't gone, oh, you know, they can't be near each other. They can't sing to each other's faces. They have partitions. Find a way to make this not, all I care about is not boring an audience. I will, I love to make people laugh. I love to make people cry. And if people get angry, whatever, just don't bore them. So that's all I was thinking about. Then it's opening night. And our hostess says, ladies and gentlemen, the cast of Godspell. And the cast walks out on stage and the audience breaks into this enormous ovation. And that was it for me. I lost it. I just, I, it was, it hit me for the first time that this was happening. It was opening night. The audience was screaming, cheering this group of people. Ben Brantley was three feet from me. It all hit really hard. You know, when the shutdown happened, you have some feisty women up there in the Berkshires with uh, Julianne Boyd, a Barrington Stage Company, and Kate McGuire, Berkshire Theater Group, saying, no, we're going to do this. We're going to try and have a real show at first inside, and then I guess it got moved outside during the process. Was there ever a point we where We were thought- always going to be, as soon as the pandemic, as soon as... We knew we were doing a pandemic production. We knew it was outside. 
we, so you were in the you know, parking we lot, building, is that right? Yes, exactly. A huge tent was built in a parking lot. Um, and it's, it's so, not, simply, so not only were you dealing with all of the restrictions, but you were dealing with outdoor theater and the... Yes, you froze, but I'm going to go and I'm going to keep talking anyway. Um, yeah. uh, we had the best weather. I thought this is going to be a nightmare being outside. And it, it, we had a deluge, the first rehearsal. And it didn't rain. It, it didn't rain once more during rehearsals or uh, the first couple of week of, weeks of performances. It didn't rain until the day that Stephen Schwartz was supposed to come see the show, <laughs> and we had to course. cancel the show. Um, well, that's, that's part of the course. course. So, um, uh, so this whole thing really comes down to the fact that when equity to all the country, Kate McGuire said, really? No, I'm not accepting a no. And she and Julie Boyd knew that we were in Berkshire County. There were practically like zero cases of COVID in Berkshire County. Mm-hmm. And that there was no reason why we can't do live theater. So instead of saying no, okay, no. Kate McGuire said, we're fighting this. And I just have to flip something here on my screen. Okay, good. And, um, and it was a back and forth with equity and with the state of Massachusetts that was unbelievable because literally day to day, it was, we're off, we can't. Next day, glimmer of hope. Next day, we're on. Next day, wow. we're not. It was every day. And my uh, choreographer, Jerry McIntyre, who is really so gigantically responsible for the final product. I'm not gonna kid anybody. Um, <laughs> On, we were on a, on the phone every day, and we didn't know how to handle this emotionally. Crying, laughing, ready to go to work, resigned that it wasn't going to happen. It was quite the process. But yes, what Kate an emotional roller coaster. Fought and fought, and she got it done. Look, I mean, we we opened, we passed our original closing date. We're in our extension. No one has gotten mm-hmm. sick. Everybody's safe. And the cast has been quarantining together for a long time now. Yes, I thank God they love each other because these people live together in big house. They rehearse together, they perform together, and they're really not allowed to see anybody outside of their bubble. So they don't have Mm -hmm. friends and family visiting. After the show opened and I was no longer in their bubble, I couldn't, I had to just wave from afar. I was wow. never allowed to spend time with the cast again. They're very isolated and thank God they live in a very nice house. They're very <laughs> comfortable and they love each other because they're all that they have. All right, we're gonna take some questions from the world, but first I wanna ask you, since you've been a casting director for so long, how you think this is changing the audition process? Uh, well, you know, it's been slowly coming over the years that people have started to go and tape for theater. It's actually been quite a long time where as soon as the technology happened, people were starting to say, I'm out of town, can I go on tape? And it started with the answer was no, for years. Then all of a sudden it was like, why are we saying no? 
we can get tips from people who are out of town and and add them into the pool. And now right. that's kind of that's what we've got now and probably will for a while. So it's just a matter of us as casting directors and directors being able to look at these tapes and really learn what we need to learn from them. Nothing will ever replace an actor being in the room, hearing their voice live, seeing mm -hmm. their whole bodies, learning their body language, seeing how they relate to people. That's a, a significant loss. But as long as we've got something, we're going to have to go with that something, and that's people in their living room. Like now, if I broke into song, and you all would want to kill yourselves. But this is what we would. <laughs> this is what we have to deal with. Now. All right, Caitlin. I know that people have questions because everybody's talking about Godspell. So let us know. Are there? Yes, there are there really is. questions. I had to do the music intro. Okay, so Alan, first question for you is Margaret wants to know, were as you as like the director and the cast, were there any specific lyrics or um, you know, moments of the show that felt like they hit differently because we are uh, in the time of COVID, like she said, when wilt thou share the people? Quite an important sentiment in this moment. Is there one that really hit you as you guys were putting this show together? Uh, yes. It, something happened in rehearsal one night that uh, has been written about and such was that uh, when Jesus, the actor playing Jesus, Nick Edwards, first learned Beautiful City, mm -hmm. um, and it was the first time he was doing it, like, on mic in front of people. And he got halfway through the song, and all of a sudden, he heard the lyric for the first time. Um, and if I were a better person and a better director, I would sit here right now and quote that lyric, and you'd all be so <laughs> impressed. It's not coming to me right now. But... Um, uh, he broke down and we had to stop because uh, he just started, he just started sobbing because he heard, you know, we could build a beautiful city, not a city of angels, but we can build a city of men. Mm. No, that's not it. Oh, I hate myself. <laughs> anyway, uh, he sat there crying. And of course, COVID, nobody could go up and comfort him. Nobody could go and touch him or anything. Yeah. So I, I said, if this were a different time, everybody would be hugging you right now. But that's, mm -hmm. that's the time. Then afterwards, all of a sudden, every lyric, everything, save the people, prepare you the way of the Lord. When will you save the people? All the way through, all these lyrics started resonating. And interestingly, it was when they started resonating with the audience that I first got Mm. I, you know, I'm like, it's Godspell. I'm listening to the show. Yay. When the audience started hearing these lyrics and having these really strong reactions, that's when I went, oh, <laughs> this really has an extraordinary significance right now, Alan. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I finally got it. Wow. I love that. 
So Jenny wants to know, Alan, what is your own personal relationship with the musical Godspell? Did you grow up loving it and listening to it, seeing it? Uh, what is your relationship with the musical? Sure. Here's how old I am. So uh, they <laughs> the first national in 1971. And I saw it at the Forest Theater in Philadelphia. Um, I worked at the Forest Theater in Philadelphia. I sold candy drink. <laughs> candy drink, orange drink, candy, orange drink in the lobby at the Forest Theater in Philadelphia. Godspell came into town, which is ridiculous when you think about it, because Godspell was created in this tiny little black box and then played off Broadway. Then they send out a first national and it's playing a theater with 2,000 seats. Yeah. Um, well. I completely fell in love with the show. I was a state door Johnny. I started hanging out with the cast <laughs> at 16, 17. I thought I was so cool. Um, Cheryl Barnes, who went on to sing Easy to Be Hard in the movie of Hair, uh, was in it. And a guy named Mark Shera, who went on to be, he starred in like San Francisco PD or something, I don't know. Um, but that's when I first saw Hair, and then of course I bought the album and listened to it, then the movie came, then there was an off-Broadway revival. So it's a show that I've been seeing and listening to mm. since I was 17, which is a really long time ago. <laughs> so yes, I knew the Love show it. really well when we headed into, when I, when I was told, uh, when Kate asked me to direct it, I knew the show really, really well. It's been with my whole life. Oh, I love it. Okay, I think we can do one more question. And okay, Jonathan wants to know what, if you can pick one, what is one thing you're taking away from this experience, you know, of being mm -hmm. such a pioneer and directing the show that you have been loving your whole life? What is one thing you're going to be taking away from this? Oh, it's so hard not to be egocentric. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. You know, no, I would love to say I'm taking away that I've shared love with theaters <laughs> of the world. I'd, that would be such a great answer. The truth is what I'm taking away is this was my professional directing debut. I directed three student productions before this. Crazy. What I'm taking away from this is I can do this. Yeah. I put this baby up in two weeks with the help of Jerry McIntyre and our musical director, Andrew. Jerry McIntyre and Andrew Balmer were unbelievably essential to the entire process. And the show wouldn't happen without them. But my mm -hmm. takeaway is, oh my God, I'm a director. I yeah, did this. Yeah. And not only did I, all the fantasies of like opening night before and people saying, wow, that was really good. You did a great job. <laughs> They came true. Mm. You know, it could and have look been what you had to do. Yes. My goodness. I mean, you know, people could have come up to me and gone, that was good. And walked away. <laughs> you know, I I didn't know what was gonna happen, and look at what happened. So my takeaway is is that oh my god, I think I'm a good director. Come so on. So what do you want to do next, Alan? Shallow. I'm shallow. <laughs> <laughs> What show would you like to direct next? Because not every show lends itself to this kind of staging. 
I know. All right, I have a fantasy. My dream show, which I won't be able to do next for uh, various reasons, is a show called Your Own Thing, which was an mm-hmm. off, off-Broadway huge musical hit in 1968. It's a musical version of 12 Nights. Uh, and it's a pop rock musical that I adore and has never been revived. Now, it would be the wrong thing to follow up Godspell with because it's another pop rock musical, <laughs> you know, from like 1970. So it would be like, oh, is that all he can do? So that's not, <laughs> not going to be what I do next. Uh, it is wow. something, it is a show that I'm, that's a show that I'm dying to do. And the show, that my ultimate goal to be talented enough and good enough to direct is Sunday. And but not I believe that's it. it. That's the ultimate. That's I my it. I believe it. goal. It's the greatest musical ever written besides Follies. Follies is the greatest musical ever written, but I'm never directing that. We're so, not going to argue um, with you about never that. Never say never. Never say never <laughs> yeah, well, is what I'll uh, say. But, uh, but Sunday in the Park's my ultimate goal. We'll <gasps> see what happens. I love, love it. it. Well, thank Amazing. you so much for joining us, Alan. If you have a chance, head up to Pittsfield, go to the parking lot of the Colonial Theater, Mm-hmm. And see Godspell like you will never see Godspell again, hopefully, and never in the past. <laughs> yes, definitely. Amazing. Right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Take us out, please. Gladly. Do I push a button or something? I'll take you out, Alan. I'll take you out. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Be great. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for another episode of Live at Five. Home edition. You can follow along where we get your podcast by searching for hashtag live at five and hitting that subscribe button. Be sure to tune in tomorrow when we talk to some new friends and faces. But taking us out today is cast members of various productions of Rent singing Will I and Benefit of Be an Arts Hero. Will someone care? Bye.